Okay, here's my question. Or not my question so much as my thing, my rant, all right? Um, <laughs> my dad my dad was a house painter and a carpenter, all right? I grew up around ladders, all right? And I kind of developed, or my dad instilled in me, a healthy respect for ladders. Ladders are dangerous. Ladders, you can hurt yourself on a ladder, all right? And you want your ladders to be stable and secure and, you know, not going to, like, fall apart on you. And so the advent of folding ladders, you know, they have these ladders now that fold up. And and you know you can take like a fifteen foot ladder and fold it up small enough that it goes in the back seat of your car. And I yeah, like a little giant or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I have always been incredibly suspicious of these ladders because I just the whole idea of climbing on a ladder that's supposed to fold up just that's you, you, not. You know they express the same concern about you climbing on them, so I think you're even. Yes. So leads me to my my similar concern about airplanes with wings that are supposed to fold up. I've always been suspicious of this idea. You know, I mean, you see it, uh, you know, I don't know where you see it. You see it on lots of times, military aircraft, the U S Navy. Exactly. A military, you know, Navy, Naval aircraft that need to fit below decks. And I understand the need for that. And so maybe it's worth, you know, the insane risk of it, or I don't know. And they're only talking about folding up the, like the last 12 or 15 feet of these. Right. You know, and of course, a lot of small, you know, uh, personal airplanes, um, for transport reasons, will have a wing that doesn't exactly fold, but kind of comes off or pivots or. Well, you know, you know those airplanes, they have that button where they can eject the wings. Yes, yeah, I know. That, those and there's are, that. Those are different. There is yeah. that. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. There is We're that. We're not talking as well. about that. Yeah. No, so, yeah. serious question. <laughs> Well, I, what leads us to this story today, all right, is a story in the news. Uh, let me just open it up the here. news. From, uh, from AvWeb. AvWeb uh, tells a story, Boeing may offer folding wings. Uh, Boeing's next commercial ch- twin jet, the 777X, might come with folding wings to ease maneuvering around jetways. Uh, according and, to a story in the Seattle they're Times. They're citing the Seattle Times. Seattle Times. So, I, you know... It's just the tips. Yeah, but... Okay. <laughs> but still, they're designed to fold up. It's like, no, I don't know if I want to ride in such an airplane. How do they? How do these mechanisms work? Do you know? I mean, how do... Is it just like, you know, a pin goes into a slot and that holds it together? Or... It, Slot A, tab A goes into slot B. Yeah, um, well, along the lines. Basically, is I, I am by no means an expert on on saying you know naval aircraft with folding wings, but what I have pictures or up close stuff that I have seen, there are some massive machined uh, fittings mm-hmm. uh, that are uh, bolted into bulkheads, uh, and the there's a positive locking mechanism. I would presume with the seven, the triple seven X, they would have uh, either hydraulic actuators or um, uh, some electric uh, uh, motors to to run the, the mechanisms. Um, there'd be all kinds of failsafe. Uh, when you um, say positive locking mechanism, <coughs> what does that mean? Positive locking <coughs> mechanism. Yeah, a positive locking mechanism where yeah. you have to, you physically have to remove a pin, for example. Yeah. Um, and, and replace that pin um, to you know, remove the pin, then you can separate the two halves. Or, and then when you put the two back together, you have to put that pin in or you get a red light or something, you know. Yeah. But it's still, everything's dependent on the pin remaining secure. If the pin broke or slid well, out. You know, I, I told Orville these things were never going to fly. <laughs> well, it, you know? It, 
let's and, take a and, look at. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I, you know, you take a little bit of risk sometimes when you get on an airplane, uh, as opposed to you know sitting at home uh, uh, watching Fox News. Um, yeah. So okay, it's got folding wingtips. Um, let's say one of them failed uh, at, at a bad time. Um, I guarantee Boeing would or someone would figure out a way to control it. Yeah, I, I've got a high opinion of Boeing. I guess and, so. Huh? And, yes. and let's take a look at uh, the, the the role of pins, and that's not a pun about roll pins. The roles of pins in aircraft like this are fairly common. For example, the engine mounts, yeah. the nacelle assembly with the with the turbine engine in it, is held to the mount on the wing with a series of pins that are actually shear pins. They're designed to fail if certain forces are applied in excess of a certain level in a certain direction. You're not making me feel better. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and in fact, there have been, uh, I think, three instances uh, in the last 25 years of a pin failing uh, on an engine and the engine departing the aircraft. But those were secondary events to something worse happening that the airplane staying together with the engine would have made circumstances more dire. Mm -hmm. Uh, And only one of those cases did anything good happen anyway. But uh, these pins, these are massive pieces of metal. Uh, if they get in and you get the positive locking indication because of circuits or, uh, 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 what do you call that, uh, fiber optic uh, tool that shows you in the cockpit, if it blocks the light, if the pin's in place, that kind of stuff, hmm. uh, okay. it's not going to go anywhere. And once it's under a load, it's really not going to go anywhere. To me... Uh... It, it's yeah, it makes it makes some sense if we're not going to change the uh, the airport infrastructure and the space between gates and and uh, jetways and all that kind of thing. It makes some sense that we're going to have to accommodate uh, 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 with larger airplanes w- with changes to the airplanes. Um, am I worried about these wingtips folding up? And and no, no more than I am worried about them landing gear up. Um, strikes well, me as pretty okay. much all the same. That's a fair comparison. It, it, it's yeah. a hellacious wingtip, though. You got to admit. I, yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, I confess I didn't even look. Is there a picture a wing, here? Winglet. There's a picture on the Seattle Times uh, right, site. I'm going there it's now. It's a hellacious yeah. winglet. And uh, actually, the Japanese Zero was designed pretty much exactly the same way. Only yeah. a couple yeah. of feet of the tip folded up. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know how it would make me feel better about it? So I was reading a story a while back about birds, all right? So there are birds that do a lot of soar, particular birds that do soar a lot, that kind of glide a lot, right? And and so as a result, they hold their wings just out steady without flapping for long periods of time. And for the longest time, the bird people, all right, couldn't quite figure out how they had enough strength to hold their wings outstretched like that for these long periods of time until someone realized that there was almost literally a locking mechanism in the joints of the bird's wings and and what would happen is that they would kind of move their wing and their you know their the bones and the joints in such a way that when they actually that it kind of the joint locked so that when they when the when the, the the weight of holding the bird in the air was was you know setting on the wings they were actually locked they could not fold up 
all right you know and uh, and that's they didn't have to use muscle power um and then then they kind of had to do this i don't know double jointed kind of thing in order to uh, to uh, un- that's un- why building walking. flapping wing machines has been such a challenge because uh, we haven't really invented mechanical mechanisms that can duplicate that kind of motion and uh, locking and unlocking on muscle tension basically mm-hmm. and yeah. air pressure on the on the feathers in the membrane in, in the wing Right. Okay, so I'm finally looking at this picture of the folding wingtips, but they're not winglets. They just, just happen no, to be. No, but in the folded position, they kind of look like Well, they, kind of, they do kind of look like it, and you're right. If those were winglets, yeah. they would be pretty intense winglets. Yeah, so. just winglets. Yeah, yeah. so anyways. Well, and if, they winged, if they put winglets on them like I expect that they will, on the, well, the 777X isn't going to be the 777X when it's finally done. I mean, right. we went through this with a 767X, which became the 777, which was dramatically different. 787, its winglets are actually just one constant flowing line. It's not, none of the add-on winglets that we're right. seeing. Right. So, anyways, I don't know. You know, all kidding aside, and of course I'm kidding around about this a little bit, but uh, yeah. I, I got to wonder if, though, if they're going to have a little bit of a pub- public relations thing here, you know. I mean, you can make a good point that from a, from an engineering standpoint, it's kind of not dissimilar to the landing gear, which we trust to stay in its locked position. But uh, but I got to figure that people standing at the, you know, at the gate area, looking out the window as this thing taxis up and watching the wings fold up is going to give some people pause. And they're going to go, oh, no, no, I don't want to get on that airplane give me a give me a different one i don't know no you don't think i don't so? know I, I it's 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 an interesting observation i don't i just don't know yeah it, it, it obviously won't bother me too much but uh if the, the, you know somebody else it might you know it might i don't know we'll see We'll see. Hey, welcome, folks, to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast, uh, where we've been able known to fold for no good reason. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Claire, but it's just airplanes, so it's not. It's, it's not really no. This is this is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a fort. runway in the front yard. <laughs> Here this evening, talking with my two good friends. Uh, Who's out there? Jeb Burnside's there, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? Doing all right. Uh, fairly decent day, uh, a fairly slow week, all things considered, and uh, um, ready for a nice little chat here with my buds. Mm-hmm. Have you yet cursed your new internet for not being fast enough? No, not yet. You're not used to it yet? It's still, ooh, no. this is cool, you know? No, it, it's, it's, uh, now it's the server's. Yeah, the servers just aren't fast enough. Yeah, anymore. I know. Yeah, I know. Right? You can't. The, the internet can't provide <laughs> you with right. the data fast enough. Exactly. No, I, I was going <laughs> to get it jacked into my artery here and, <clears throat> and move on down the road. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all the server side now. I know, man. Just like yeah, it can't, can't, can't please me. No. Yeah. And also out there is uh, Dave Higdon from uh, Wichita, Kansas. Hiya, David. How you doing tonight? Uh, I'm going to hold the ones I've got and not fold until later. Okay. Yeah. What's going on? Check. <laughs> What's going on, David? You having fun? Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, having a pretty good time. Uh, been a busy couple of weeks since uh, you know the NBAA. It hadn't really lightened up. Uh, did spend most of the weekend uh, on a Foxtrot uniform. Uh, well, not completely. <laughs> Foxtrot uniform status. Uh, Posture, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, saw a good movie, hung out at the airport a little bit. Uh, chillier than hell. Didn't get the bike out, but uh, 
did oh, help that's push. That's right. It's winter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, right. we've we've barely been able to tell it until a couple of days late last week. So uh, we've still got bloody dandelions blooming in some neighborhoods around here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Speaking of movies, I, I don't suppose either one of you saw this new Denzel Washington movie, right? Flight? I've not seen it yet. The no. one that's got everybody just up in arms about uh, the the just outrageous aviation stuff that they're touting, in the, at least I consider it outrageous, you know? Well, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to... Yeah. What, what I've read that had people mostly out of joint was the portrayal of a pilot as anything other than a straight arrow kind of guy. That's apparently the real story. The, 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 the story it's apparently not so much the story of a potential airplane or actual airplane crash that, that, that you know, heroic actions, you know, kept from being totally tragic. It's apparently really a movie about, about substance abuse and apparently quite a good one in that limited you know, scope. Yeah, and of course, you know, the the tragedy for aviation is we've never had a pilot fly drunk or fly stoned or never had anything of that sort ever happen in over a hundred years. That's right. It's, it's never ever happened to my knowledge. You know, and I, I haven't seen the movie, so I shouldn't talk, but I don't quite understand if this is an excellent examination of substance abuse and addiction, why they needed this fanciful depiction of an airplane crash. I don't understand how this adds to that story, but maybe I'm going to have to well, see it. On, on one level, I'm led to believe, and I don't know where I came across this information. You remember, I think it was in early 01, uh, there was a, a Canadian Airbus that uh, literally ran out of fuel and landed in the Azores, uh, punched the main gear up through the wings in the landing, but everybody got out and walked away. You remember that? Yes, yeah, I do yeah. remember mm-hmm. that. Uh, Canada Transat, um, uh, well, I think it was the operator, and it was an Airbus 330, I believe, twin jet. Um, this, the flight, the movie supposedly is based very loosely on what happened in the aftermath mm-hmm. to the captain of that flight. Uh-huh. Uh, they started, someone apparently started digging into this guy's background and came up with some things that weren't perhaps um, in some people's minds befitting of an airline pilot and uh, made a big deal about it. And he, after, um, you know, we can debate um, the, the the events precipitating the uh, need for an emergency uh, um, um, flame out landing, um, but he did a very good job getting the bird down uh, without power and and uh, um, you know on the ground and everybody safe. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, now um, no no debate about his skills or his commitment to uh, uh, to the to the flight successful resolution of the flight. But some people just, I don't and I don't remember what the issues were. I don't remember if it was substance abuse, um, if it was some kind of of um, uh, criminality. I, I just don't remember if it was like a, you know, a family kind of thing or something. I don't know. Um, but they raked him over the coals. He ended up, I think, leaving his job uh, with that carrier. I think he got it back. I don't know what he's doing now. Um, it's a shame we don't have some, some tool uh, that we could use in this day and age uh, to find all that out. But um, anyway, the punchline is I'm led to believe that the movie Flight is 
a dramatization or or at least based loosely on this particular pilot story. Yeah. I heard something about that as well. Yeah. So, anyways, I don't know. I, I may. I don't know. I'm probably not going to go see it. I'm probably not going to go see it. I'm well, probably not going to go see it. I'll see it when it comes out on you know DVD or cable or something. We, Streaming we, video. You've got internet now. See, so I do. You, yes, you got to get that. it on Hulu or Netflix or something like uh-huh. that. You know, Amazon. Uh-huh. David, the the uh, the setting of this story built around this pilot. Jeb's right. It, it kind of loosely based on. The aftermath of of that pilot's life uh, after the, his successful dead stick into the Azores, and uh, why is that there? Why do they wrap it around aviation and this guy being a pilot? Well, a that was the inspiration for the story. B, it says I think they're making a statement here about the the, the conflict between you know the people that have substance abuse issues and the reality that some of them with a certain level of that substance in their system perform really excellently at their jobs which is kind of a counterintuitive message to what you know what we normally hear are you don't, sure about that is that true when the you- chips are down a guy can do something like this and he's got a buzz on or had one at the start uh <laughs> The line ah, is never mind. the line is that if the guy wasn't slightly in the wind, he wouldn't have the nerve to do it. He he would be so shook up. But he he's just calm. He's in his game. Uh, I see what you're saying, so, David. I'm not sure if I'm um I'm, yeah okay yeah I understand what he's saying. I'm not sure I buy that either. Yeah. Um, well, there are other instances in history and other modes of of, of travel and 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 life where. This kind of issue has come up. The guy was, you know, not in a hundred percent uninfluenced condition, and managed to do something remarkable, uh, and then later paid the price because when he got the hero's investigation, they found out that you know, he wasn't exactly the hero type. If you want to follow the stereotype, right? right. You know, we want our heroes to all be like. Like Captain Sullenberger and and First Officer, uh, oh, Scott. Thank you. You know those guys were the perfect, the perfect. Yeah, this is straight out of central, straight out of central casting. Right, straight out of central casting. Now imagine if they'd have been like uh, uh, the captain of the Exxon Valdez and been on the flight deck that night <clears throat> or that afternoon and still managed to pull that off. Everybody would be going, doing exactly the same thing. Oh, what a hero, until they found out that, well, he'd had a couple back in the pilot briefing room before he got on board the airplane, and, you know, the peppermint mouthwash covered it up, and his first officer never noticed it. But in the aftermath, when the NTSB tapped his blood for the investigators, they found out that he was .07, and it had been two hours since the event happened. Well, you do the math, and he had to be somewhere up around .15. Yeah, so, I don't know. And, and, and pulled it off. I took advantage of uh, this internet connection I have. Yeah. And uh, this was Air, <laughs> Air, Air Transat Flight 236. I was correct. It's an Airbus A330. Um, <clears throat> August 24, 2001. Captain's name was Robert Pichet. And uh, according to the Wikipedia entry for Mr. Pichet, um, it came out um, uh, after this flight that uh, in 1983, Pichet served 16 months of a 10-year sentence in prison 
after a plane he landed solo at a small airfield in Georgia was found to be full of marijuana smuggled from Jamaica. Ow! Yeah, he was pardoned in 2000, in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And in 1996, uh, he was hired by Pichet. Uh, I'm sorry, um, Air Transat hired him in, in 1996. Um, so apparently he got his, I don't know if he got his job back now or, or what the deal is. Um, uh, da, 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 but uh, the, the, the uh, episode here is rather interesting. The... Uh, <clears throat> The airplane had been uh, re-engined with a different dash number engine, um, as I recall, and uh, the uh, some fuel. There was some kind of a um, mismatch between components involving the hydraulic system, hydraulic pumps, and uh, um, the fuel line. And basically, um, this mismatch in components caused a massive fuel leak on the average of about a gallon per second um, while they were airborne. It wore, basically wore a hole in the fuel line, uh, dis, or dis, dislodged the fuel line. The fuel line's pumping fuel overboard. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't realize it. They didn't really understand what the automation was telling them. And both engines were flamed out 65 miles out of uh, the Azores. And as again, they, they got it on the ground. Say that again. How many miles out of the Azores? 65, according to a uh, Wikipedia article. That's longer than the Gimli glider. It is. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, according to that, that's the longest uh, glide of any commercial aircraft in history as of earlier this year. Yeah, 65 nautical miles, not just statute, but 65 nautical. Yeah. And so, you, you think about that, you start... You know, up at the flight levels and 65 nautical miles away from an island. Let's see, 65 nautical miles, that's going to be right at 85 statute miles, or 75 statute miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a postage stamp to land on, relatively speaking, surrounded by water. Uh, you can't let it go too slow. You don't want it to go too fast. What you year was this? Short. 2001. Okay. Anyways. And then you put it down with only eight blown tires. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Uh, all I know is all I know for sure is that is that when I've had a few drinks, I get better looking. So there is that. What, and, all and the Jack, podcast producers get cr- prettier at closing time. Jack, when I've had a few drinks, <coughs> you do get better looking. <laughs> okay. All right. Now we've wandered too far. Now we've wandered too far. It, it, there's nothing in this that suggests that the that the uh, uh, captain was in any way in hip in 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 hip inhibited or uh, under the influence of anything uh, in August of 2001. Okay, uh, yes. Matter of fact, it was uh, nothing to hint at. He was under the influence when he was carrying all the pot. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Jeb, uh, DARPA yeah. completes autonomous high-altitude refueling tests. So, yeah. so we've got, <laughs> we got two drones here. We've got two, what, two Global Hawks that, uh-huh. that have... Uh, that have uh, uh, managed tried, to refuel one to, another. 
tried to mate. Um, yeah, well, that's this is exactly the image that came to my mind too. A Mile High Club thing going on here, you know. <laughs> the <laughs> Eight Mile High Club. You know? Soon we'll have a bunch of uh, little baby global hawks running. Yeah, around. really. Oh, so, uh, no, this was. Uh, I just thought this was an interesting milestone um, for the you know continuation of the surveillance state um, and bringing us ever <laughs> ever ever closer to Skynet. Um, where uh, the, the U.S. Uh, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, um, last month uh, completed what they called a uh, uh, demonstration that unmanned uh, uh, air vehicles, drones, could in fact refuel in midair. Autonomously. Um, autonomously. Right. Excuse me. Eh. Autonomously. Not under real-time control from the ground. Right. Yeah. In other words, kind of like thinking on their own. Yeah. Deciding when they needed to get fuel and where they needed to get it kind of thing. Just out of curiosity, does it say where they did this test? Uh, you know, that's a good question. In the uh, air. Yeah, yeah, David. Thank you. Who let him in? I don't know. I don't, he, he appears every week. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. Apparently I, I'm, so. I'm guessing over the Pacific uh, could have been. No, there's there's this picture. There's there's mountains in the background, but this doesn't mean it was that episode. So could have been uh, Edwards. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, you're right. It is. It's just you know one one more step forward here, and uh, um, but uh, but we don't need to worry because apparently we even when we do have drones in the airspace with us, we won't see them. Right. There. Well, exactly, exactly. Also That's another comes, story on the list here, yeah. Also comes to us, news, um, let me open this. This is from the BBC. The um, lead paragraph says, Scientists have succeeded in cloaking an object perfectly for the first time, rendering a centimeter-scale cylinder invisible to microwaves. Now, to microwaves, as opposed to visible light. But... Basically, what we're talking about here is the Klingon cloaking device uh, being tested in, in, in a lab and, and actually working. Mm-hmm. So what we are going to have, of course, before the smoke clears, is a bunch of drones refueling in midair with their cloaking devices on. We can't even shoot them down that way. I know. <laughs> I don't know. But you'll know it when you run into one. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so, I don't know. You know, uh, um, technology marches on. It marches, marches on. That's right. Yeah. So, I think there's something unnatural about this. These uh, high altitude, long endurance aircraft. Uh, yeah. Which part? Well, the the refueling setup. Uh, apparently, they're doing it doggy style. Uh, <laughs> thank you david really really appreciate that <laughs> what did you mean by that david oh yeah we've broken that eye yeah i know oh, no. yeah oh, what do you well, think do we dare make that the title yeah. since you ask <laughs> yeah you're the, he's uh, right though he's right the the the, the uh hosen drogue is is a very common matter of fact that's largely the international standard for air to air refueling but usually it's the fuel's coming down the hose into the probe. In this case, the setup was for the probe to send the fuel up the hose. Oh, really? Okay. So up your fuel with a rubber hose. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Doggy style. We've done that one to death now. Let's see here. Um, I'll uh, leave it at that. So, Jeb, Moving along. Jeb, by the way, 
you put a lot of items on the list this week. This is like must you must have fast internet now. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you spend more time surfing. No, I can't. You know, anyways, you, 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 I don't, you, I don't you, spend you, any more time surfing. I actually I spend less time surfing. Yeah, you're, you're quick on that, Jack. You're yes, quick. I know, huh? Um, but I think we all probably got this email from AOPA about yeah. this uh, about this polling that that they did or they had done um, that was kind of interesting. Jeb, you want to tell us what this is all about and what, or what you saw? Well, they like us. They really like us. <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank um, you, Sally. If Thank they you, do, Sally. but you go yeah. ahead and tell what's the um, story. Well, according to a blog post um, from uh, Craig Fuller, president of AOPA. Uh, AOPA has been polling, I would presume, both in exit polls and some kind of uh, um, other polling uh, mechanisms that are done um, every four years in conjunction with presidential elections. Uh, AOPA has been asking basically the same same three questions. Um, first question is um, to agree or disagree with the following statement. General aviation in the United States is an important part of the nation's transportation system. Uh, according to Fuller's blog post, uh, in 2008, 62% of those polled agreed with that statement that GA is an important part of the nation's transportation system. In 2012, 93% agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, more perhaps more important or as important, uh, this level of agreement was uh, spread across all demographic groups, according to Fuller. Um, Those they also damn demographics again. Yeah, they they also asked the question. You know, do you agree or disagree with the following statement uh, on another uh, topic? Says general aviation in the United States is important to me and my family. Uh, again, in, in 2008, only 29% agreed with that mm-hmm. statement. Here in, in 2012, 76% agreed with yeah. this. And I love those answers uh, or those results. Right? The problem I have with this polling Keep is going. that I'm not convinced. If these were simply the questions that were asked, I'm not convinced that the great mass of people understand what general aviation is. And when they hear this question, they just hear aviation, and they conclude that, yes, airlines make I my think life there better. Was, I think there was a qualifier uh, to help them define what I, I hope so. general aviation. Otherwise, it would be, like you said, there's no real way to, to know what people thought they were answering if you don't quantify or qualify in this case. What it, in surveys that we've been a part of, very often there would be a statement explaining something that they were then going to ask our feelings about, mm-hmm. but then just did, so, and I hope so, um, and and that would make sense that they would have done that. But I didn't see anything in the report that indicated that they had. Um, did you see anything like that that would kind of reassure no, me? I, I did not see anything in that blog post that that gave much more background. Um, the other, I, I, I especially this this first result the. Uh, Ninety-three percent agree with the general aviation in the United States is an important part of the nation's transportation system. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you could get, if you could ask a bunch of pilots that question and get right. ninety-three percent of them to agree. Well, exactly. Um, exactly. You know, so I, I don't know. I want this to well, be the 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 opinion of the of the you know the the general public, but uh, I'm I'm dubious. David. Well, they they set up some of that in here, and they qualify these folks. There are questions that they ask before they get to the meat questions. You know, are you over 18? Do you fly? Uh, That kind of stuff. 
if they want to do a, a, a large number broad-based survey uh, and do it scientifically, they're going to do some qualifying questions before they get to the questions that are really the meat of their interest. And they'll probably do some after they ask those questions, too, for further classification. So, you know, the the idea that they they could have done something that was slanted, sure. You can buy whatever results you want to from some survey companies. But given that their business is knowing where they really stand and in reacting accordingly, I, I, I question whether they wouldn't do everything in their power to qualify the survey responses so that they knew they were getting good answers. Otherwise, why waste your money? Yeah. If it can't help you make decisions, strategic decisions, why spend the money on it? Just for PR? Just to make us feel good? I don't yeah, see that. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I'd certainly want to see them um, ascertain that uh, they're asking the correct questions. 93% of the population knows what general aviation is without goading, without some explanation. That's a little far-fetched. Yeah, they, they, I'm, I would bet money, and I haven't found anything yet that shows me the exact script of the survey. And if they did this by phone, they randomly called landlines, they randomly called cell phones, and it's legal to randomly call cell phones. Uh, but it has to be a live person asking the question. Uh, if they did that properly, then they got... You know, to to get from all demographic groups, that means they they split it up age wise, they split it up political party wise, they split it up to, on, on, to a certain degree on racial basis, on geographic basis. There's a lot that goes into a scientific survey, yeah, yeah. rather than just making a thousand twenty four phone calls. Rather than going on here, you know, I mean, between the three of us, we can probably find somebody at AOPA who could give us some clarity on on how this survey worked. So maybe we should look into that and, and report back next episode. And uh, so let me suggest that we do that. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Okay. Good. Yeah. All right. And the fact that they did this on election night and the day after. Uh, I think is significant because people were of the mindset to take part in this kind of stuff about them. Yeah. Okay. Moving on here. Let's see. Uh, so we're, this is going to be, this is weird. I was just trying to think about how to present this. We got a little time warp that's about to happen here and then controlled airspace. Um, the, the big news here and the Let's cool thing. The time warp um, coolness. I mean, I mean, time warp aside, the cool aspect of this is our pal, Amy Laboda is as we speak in China, uh, doing uh, aviation reporting at this big uh, Chinese air show that happens every couple of years. Uh, let me see. There's a story here. It's uh, what's it called? It's called. I think it's just called Air Show. Yeah, Air Show China. At the and I apologize for mispronouncing this. The Zhuhai, the Zhuhai Airport in the southern province of Guangdong. Um, and uh, it's going on right now. Uh, and I've exchanged a couple of emails with her. Um, uh, we were actually, uh, before I realized she was in China, I tried to see if I could get her on the, uh, on the podcast tonight. Um, but she said, well, you see, I don't think so. Um, but, um, here's the weird time warp part is that, uh, we're recording this episode. It's about five 30 in the afternoon, Eastern time. Um, later in about two hours, uh, sometime between seven 30 and eight 30 this evening. Um, if all goes according to plan, Amy is going to call me from China 
and uh, and uh, she's going to give us a little report on uh, on uh, what she's uh, seen and heard and and her her visit to China and that'll be very cool. Um, so uh, uh, we're going to drop that into the podcast right now. This is just not working right, but uh, uh, we're going to drop that into the podcast right now. So you are about to hear one of three things. You're about to hear Amy tonight from China China proper somewhere China. China. Yeah. I'm from Boston. Um, somewhere near uh, in the pro somewhere in the Southern province of Guangdong. Um, possibility two is you will, we will, I will actually talk to her on Friday morning, uh, when she will be in Hong Kong, still China, by the way. Um, and then the third possibility is we will got to cut this all out. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we won't, in which case we'll not remember. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> so anyways, so anyways, Amy, are you there? I am sitting I am sitting on Lantau Island in what it turns out after we visited a pub this evening is the pilot's enclave beach town on the other side of the hill from the airport Cool cool what's it yeah. I, what's that like so that that's is that what people might call Hong Kong or No 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 this is the uh, this is the island where they put the new Hong Kong airport okay. Luck. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess how long ago did they do Cheplong? I think I think this airport's been here for at least ten years. Uh, that's why I was going to say ten years. Yeah. high tech. Yeah. Why are you over there? Uh, I am over here to do some journalism. Uh, you know, I do some freelance stuff uh, with Aviation International News. I went to the uh, 2012 China Air Show in Zhuhai, China which is mainland China, and it's just across the South China Sea from Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. I was and looking at it on a right map. Next yeah, it's next to Macau. Uh... Um, and, you know, it's really curious because Hong Kong's China, not China. Right. So you don't need a visa to come to Hong Kong. It's, it's very much the similar to the place it has been for the last how many hundred years as a British protectorate. Right. Um, and English is very commonly spoken here. Um, and Hong Kong is actually a group of islands in the South China Sea. Mm -hmm. Lantau is just one. There's Kowloon. There's uh, Hong Kong Island, which is itself like kind of a peninsula island. And, um, a Lama Island and lots of little ones sprinkled around. But basically, to get to Zhuhai, one of the easy ways to do it is to fly into Hong Kong and you take a, a fast ferry, which takes about 70, 80 minutes to go across the sea, and uh, you're in Zhuhai. Mm -hmm. um, and it, Zhuhai is a beach town um, with high rises and the typical uh, palm trees, and it's right on the same latitude as Florida, so the weather's very similar this time of year, and um, ooh, a good 50, 60 minutes outside of town in this Pearl River Delta area is where they have a very large airport and airport industrial complex where Kega and Avic um, have set up shop. Kega and Avic are state-run uh, companies involved in all aspects of aviation. Kega uh, you might remember bought Cirrus mm -hmm. and Epic um, among their among their acquisitions. Uh, they're going to be helping uh, Cessna build the uh, XLS. Mm -hmm. That's some of the news that came out of this conference. Uh, it, it, and this is a 
very large air show. Think of it as a cross between NBAA and Oshkosh. Okay. In terms of okay. scope or variety, or what do you mean? A variety, variety. Um, I was here two years ago, and uh, the flight line was really quite sparse. Um, the exhibit halls are large. You could uh, do business in anything from handheld uh, shoulder-mounted Stinger missiles to uh, space, you know, rocket fuel to uh, ultralights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or UAVs, whatever you need. So the air show, uh, I would like that to, it's the OEMs and their suppliers and their supplier suppliers. So I, I was asking around at certain booths, and I met the guy who makes the metal that they make the fasteners with. Mm, okay, they okay. Go yeah. It's that, that much, yeah, we're that deep in the weeds, so to speak. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's a, it's a very B2B kind of show. It uh, yeah from from reading your reports online it definitely sounds very much like an NBAA kind of show. Um, is it is it a cross section? Is it GA Airlines military or is it more one than the other? Uh, yeah yeah it's it's a real cross section. Um, interestingly enough, though the biz jets were there. There was a, there was a, a G uh, five fifty. There was a G four fifty. There was a Cessna um, Sovereign. There were all kinds of Hawker Beechcraft, King Airs, and uh, then uh, on the airline side, uh, there was a Sukhoi 100, which is kind of an A318 knockoff. Uh, there was the ARJ, um, ACRJ21, which is uh, uh, Comac and um, AVIX entry into the RJ world, which still is it's way behind um and it, it, it you know it, interesting things no boeings but boeing was there with a very big booth uh there were only two bizjet operators that were visible in the exhibit hall and that was nanshan jet and netjets which uh subsequently uh right after i left heading back over here announced that they are setting up their base of operations for NetJets China in Zhuhai mm-hmm. and in the industrial center right there at the airport. So, you know, interesting stuff. There were a lot of aerobatic teams, aerobatic uh, teams from China, from Russia, from France, the Brightline Jet and, uh, and their, their uh, looked like steerman, wing walking teams were there. So there was a lot of flying. Um, there were diamonds that are built here in China. Who were the attendees? Sort of what's the demographic of the, of the audience for this show? Ah, the demographic is very interesting. The first three days of the show are trade visitors only. So you see people in business suits doing business, so to speak. A lot of relationship based business in China, i.e. we need to get to know you first, then we'll send a memoranda, you know, uh, MOU, and then maybe we'll get to the contract. You know, it takes time. Mostly Chinese buyers or buyers from around the world? I would say mostly Chinese here, so much so that many of the press conferences are only in Chinese. Mm-hmm. So I, ha- I had a friend who was helping me out with the press releases and things 
to figure out what was going on. Uh, so it, it try to remember how many people are in China, how big China is. You have to think of China more like Europe. It's so regionally different. I was in the in uh, the car on the way to the airport having a conversation, and and one woman said to me, "You know, when so and so speaks in her you know regional tongue, I can't understand a word she says." I said, seriously? But it's Mandarin. She said, nah, it's not Mandarin. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's that's somebody from Guangdong province talking about somebody from Hunan province. Yeah. How would you characterize the mood of the show, the attendees and the exhibitors? Uh, are people upbeat or? Absolutely. And very optimistic, very hopeful. Lots and lots of hopeful language. Uh, the hope is that the change of government will finally... Um, break the the grasp of the People's Liberation Army uh, Air Force on the airspace, the low-level airspace. There were a lot of conversations about that. Um, the desire is there to fly, but the reality is most of the flying is in the pattern mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Uh, and and there is some training going on, and there are biz jets that that do fly, and and um, and. Things are changing, and there's 13 Part 135 operators here with their uh, certificate of operation. 35 have applied, so that will change again next year. Yeah, when when you stand sort of in the middle of the show and look around, uh, or or listen around, uh, other than the language differences, do you know you're in China? Is that it's a Chinese show, and if so, how? Oh gosh, yes. Uh, you know you're in China. A, because there's a strong security presence in the room. Um, lots of uh, police doing their little parading and, and, you know, but they're kids. They're kids. They're kids dressed up, um, you know. But, but the sense is that um, you're, you're, people are careful about what they say in public. Um, but they're very friendly, and um, as the evening wears on and they loosen up, uh, they talk more and more. They prefer to um, dine in private rooms and restaurants where they can be more comfortable talking. You know you're in China. Mm-hmm. You know you're in China. Yeah. Even though the glam and the glitz of the really big, expensive booths, you know, you look at, you look at the booth that Nanshan Jet brought to the show, and it was probably $75,000 to build it, but they brought it not because they thought they had customers at the show, but because they were signing the deal for the 650 that they, that they're going to buy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the G650 and their big wigs were going to be there and they needed a place to host them. I know that you and I believe another reporter are doing a lot of reporting on uh, AINonline.com, and and I've been looking at those, and other people should too. Can you point us to any particular stories that are the big stories of the show? I would say one of the big stories is is um, NetJets finally finally stating what everybody pretty much knew, with, and 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 giving a location for where their base is going to be. Um, I would say um, that some of the other big stories are the um, Zulu flight training 
which I think is an interesting concept. You know, people don't, probably don't realize that AVIC owns Zulu Flight Training, which is based out of Alabama and is setting up in shopping malls in the U.S. and bringing in the Redbird simulators. The oh. idea being, let's bring the ground school and the simu flight simulation to the people, and then we can take them out to the airport once they're ready to learn, actually get in an airplane and learn the rest of flying. And that AVIC owns that company and is bringing that concept to Beijing first and then Shanghai and points beyond. Because right now, if the Chinese people can't actually fly an airplane, at least they can go fly a simulator. Hmm. Very interesting. Speaking of which, uh, and this may not be really what the show is all about, but I know it's something, at least I think it's something that you watch. What's GA like? What's general aviation like in China these days? You sort of alluded to that a little bit, but can you tell us any more? Uh, general aviation, as we know, it doesn't exist in China, no matter what anybody else tells you. Once again, if you want to go fly your airplane that you own or your helicopter, you are probably a light aircraft, let's say a Cirrus or a Robinson or a Schweitzer, right? You're going to be staying in the pattern or very close to it in just about everywhere, um, with the exception of a few experimental spots in, in Guangdong province. Um, but you still fight just to go from Guangdong to Shenzhen, which is a very short flight. Long drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive, hmm. but a short flight. Um, those low-level routes, people are really working. The people at Kega and, and, and the people behind Cirrus are working very hard, I, I would say, clawing their way through the negotiations. But the reality of the situation is if you could build an airplane where people could not look down at the ground while they were flying, the PLA would let you fly anywhere you want it. Oh, but right now, they're uncomfortable with the idea of people being able to be at low level where they could actually see things that are on the ground. Interesting. Very, very That's interesting. That's why yeah. uh, the mapping, you know, the GPS mapping is not accurate in China. Remember, it didn't used to be very accurate in Russia either. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're there in China on behalf of AINonline.com, but if I could ask you to change hats for just a moment and tell us whether there is there anything to say about women's aviation in China? There is, actually. Um, women in Aviation International has a chapter in Zhuhai, and uh, we've got oh, 7 to 11 members at any given time in that chapter, and it's very informal, um, and, and that's necessary based on, on the environment uh, that, where it is right now. They have a little flying club. They needed a little tea house. Um, it's a very interesting group of people. Um, and I was part of some fascinating discussions with uh, people such as the editor-in-chief of the uh, China Aviation News and um, uh, former uh, Chinese uh I think it's the 4th of August, 1st of August uh, flight demonstration team, which is their Thunderbirds, uh, one of the guys who just recently retired from that. Uh, so they, they're very interested in it. Uh, there have been women flying in the Chinese military for a long time. Uh, the air traffic controllers, many of them are women. In the CAAC, uh, I met a woman 
who was um, handles the flight plans that people put in to try and fly privately. We were having a one a conversation uh, trying to I was trying to figure out how many of those she got a day, um, and I'm pretty sure the number she's telling me is roughly thirty to forty a day mm-hmm. submitted. Um, one of the problems is you can't deviate off route, and so they'll cancel your clearance if they think there's weather on your route. You know, it, it, so 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 the answer is yes. Um, I met with one of the first women to actually hold a Chinese private pilot certificate. Um, although there are many um, who are flying commercially. Um, when I say many, try to understand the percentages are are still about the same. Or a little less than than what they are in the states, but um, many is is you know more than a hundred. Hmm. Um, I have one question that Jeb and Dave wanted me to ask you, but before I do that, uh, is there uh, anything I didn't ask you about? Any other aspects about the experience or the show that you want to tell us about? I don't know. I like the food. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because that's exactly what Jeb and Dave's question was. They wanted to know how the food is. <laughs> But what is the food like? People, you know, Americans have an idea of what "quote unquote" Chinese food is. I would imagine very, that's not what they serve in China, or is it? No. Try to remember that Chinese food in America is adapted to a uh, American ingredients and American palates uh, for the most part. Uh, but but we actually got to spend a little time in in uh, somebody's house. Um, and and having uh, let's say peanuts that are with crushed up um, cayenne kind of peppers and stuff like that in it um, as an hors d'oeuvre and and all kinds of little crunchy things that that were tasty. As I was teasing you earlier about uh, picked up a bag of Cheez-Its at the little uh, grocery right. store down the road and uh, was looking at the ingredients, going, "Huh, these don't taste like Cheez-Its in the U.S." Um, and of course, there's MSG in it. <laughs> Yep. That's why it tastes much better. No, uh, we we had the other night a little tiny dried shrimp um, that that was sautéed with just scallions. You know, we would never think to just sauté up very fast in a wok scallions alone. Mm-hmm. These little briny shrimp gave it you know a wonderful flavor. So there's a lot of it's not what we would eat in the states. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Um, they, 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 it's, you know, they're not deboning things, um, so there's a little bit more uh, texture. There, that's a kind word. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I had a marvelous um, steamed, almost like a turnip soup the other night with big giant uh, turnips in it. That was probably the, the Chinese comfort food, and it was so good. Mm-hmm. Just amazingly good and it, it, I'm sure it was a chicken based broth too but uh, anyhow I'm, I'm getting totally off topic but you did ask about I did food. ask about it yeah. I, I found I like the people I like the people a lot I find them incredibly enthusiastic about aviation um, the days after the trade show which, which means starting today it's open to the general public they expect 400,000 people at that show over the weekend. Wow. 
Okay, and that's where I said it kind of crosses the line and becomes an Oshkosh because you've got the performers, you've got the static display, and then you've got these kids who are coming in and they just want pins and pencils and whatever swag, you know, the booths have. And the Honeywells and the Safran's and the, and the Rockwell Collins, they are ready for them. The Boeing's, they've got stuff they toss at these kids because they want them to be enthusiastic about aviation. Very cool. Well, thank you, Amy. I appreciate you taking a few minutes. It's uh, I, I, apparently it's nighttime where you are. It's eight thirty in the morning here in the U.S. But uh, what time is it there? It's uh, going on ten o'clock at night. Yeah. So you're at the end of a long day, and you're probably getting ready to to uh, try and uh, overcome the MSG and take a nap. But uh, when do you come home? Uh, coming home Tuesday. Coming home just before Thanksgiving. So. Uh, how long does it take to get home? Well, it is, if it's nonstop from Hong Kong to Chicago, is about a 15, 15 and a half hour flight. I actually, uh, I do have a stop on the way home. So I won't get home. I will leave Hong Kong 1030 in the morning Hong Kong time and arrive home at about 11 p.m. on the same day, Florida time. And it will be a 26-hour day. Yeah, well, uh, thank you very much, Amy. I appreciate it. Uh, are you flying at least on an airline that gets you some frequent flyer miles? <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping to to reach premier status before I get back. Yeah, really? On one trip, one way? Huh? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm jealous about these adventures you get to go on, but uh, but it's really great of you to share it all with us. Uh, Amy Laboda, uh, normally of Women in Aviation magazine, but uh, now uh, wearing her AINonline.com hat. Um, by the time people listen to this, uh, most of those stories, I think, will have scrolled off the front page at AINonline.com, but we'll put a link in the uh, show notes and on our website at Uncontrolled Airspace with a link directly to a page that exists right now anyways, that uh, lists all of the sh- stories that are specifically from Airshow China. So uh, you'll be able to, to see what Amy and her colleagues were writing about over there in China. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate it. Oh, you are very welcome. Listen, it's great talking to you, and it's nice. Y- you sound so close. I know. That's kind of nice. Isn't, isn't technology great, huh? Yeah. It is. I like it a lot. Get in touch when you get back in the States, and we'll try and schedule you onto the regular podcast. It's been too long. I would love to do that. Really looking forward to talking with you guys again soon. Thanks. All right. Now, how do we get out of this? Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy. Really Really appreciate appreciate it. it. (laughs) Hope hope you enjoy the food. And can you send over some egg rolls? Okay. All right. Well, the fact that you heard that means it probably worked. Uh, If if you didn't hear it. Her tour guide's name is Teriyaki. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, no. Uh, <laughs> the Chinese are probably listening. Don't do that. Um, of course they're listening. Yeah, so. Come, they told him, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum, to the virtual hangar, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. They gather once a week, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum, to talk in aircraft speak, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum.
Rom pom pom pom, rom pom pom pom. Uncontrolled airspace, pa rom pom pom pom. GA podcast. Little Davy, pa rom pom pom pom. Likes to run his mouth, pa rum pum pum pum. Jeb has the gift of gab, pa rum pum pum pum. Quite much to Jack's chagrin, pa rum pum pum pum, rum pum pum pum, rum pum pum pum. They have pa rum pum pum pum. They do not sing. What you hear today, pa rum pum pum pum, sounds like a way to fly, pa rum pum pum pum. Do not pay too much heed, pa rum pum pum pum. Recall what you have learned, pa rum pum pum pum, rum pum pum pum, rum pum pum pum. Fly the airplane, pa rum pum pum pum. You knew. That you knew 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 that. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. Here's my next rant. I ranted about folding ladders earlier. Here's my next rant. All right, we have in America in the early 21st century patents for everything. All right, the most ridiculous, silly little things have a patent on file in wherever Washington, D.C., or whatever warehouse they keep these things in. What we don't have a physical patent for any longer is the Wright Brothers 1903 Wright Flyer. Jeb, you put this story on the list, so you know what I'm yeah, talking this, about that's, here. That's, that's patently crazy. This is yeah. nuts, all right? Yeah, this is absolutely bonkers, uh, um, stark raving nuts. Um, this is from the Atlantic.com, the Atlantic's uh, uh, magazine's website. Um, and uh, apparently, um, the Wright brothers' patent on the 1903 flying machine has gone missing. Now, of course, this doesn't – well, of course, the patent's no longer – no longer binding, but what we're talking about was in the first place. Yeah, actually. I know it was a big thing back then, wasn't it? <clears throat> but uh, but uh, the you know it's we're talking about the paper that that 
of the of the patent filing. Yeah, the physical the physical yeah. piece now, of paper. The good news is there are plenty of copies of this. Um, I've seen it framed in FBOs all around America, um, and uh, um, and in fact, there's a nice copy of it in the story that you posted here. But uh, but you know, it's just it's sad. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's I think it's clear what. Well, I, one possibility is they just plain lost it. All right, because there is that warehouse from the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and yes. it's you know it's in there someplace. Um, you know, another, uh, sadly real possibility is that somebody walked off with it thing, you know, and basically they, you know, tried to, you know, it's like stealing the Mona Lisa. Um, it's a, it's a, a, a piece of art, I would, I would say, you know, it, it and pretty much is, it's certainly a piece of history, you know, uh, and that's why it's, that's why we're kind of in the, <clears throat> I'm anyway, in the, in the point of, are you, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, it's it's a it certainly is a serious collectible, and uh, one thing in this story, or someone made a comment about it appearing on eBay, and that's the it'll never do that, of course, no, because you know it's it's stolen property, you know, and uh, um, and it's a pretty 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 well known stolen property now, so uh, um, you wouldn't get away with that unless you know you're not very smart, but. Uh, and that's been known to happen on eBay, by the way. <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down. Yeah, I know. There are, there are people selling some, some pretty stupid things on eBay. But uh, This intrigues me because this isn't a patent for the 1903 Wright Flyer. It isn't? Well, do you see an engine anywhere? Uh, oh, you're right. This is a glider. This is... This is the glider that they'd been flying for a couple of years. Well, and that's the illustration here. This may or may not be the piece that's actually missing. I don't know. Um, no, I think this is the glider. Well, and this, this is the glider because the if you read the uh, the top of that page, it says the uh, application was filed on March 23, 1903. Right. Oh, okay. Well before. So it's uh, the glider. It's, it's the 1903 Oh yeah, they're just referring to the 1903 flying machine, and uh, that would be the 03 glider, not the. Well, the the Wright Flyer of 1903 was also patented under, I believe, an extension of this because for you to get the patent to apply to having a motor on there, I believe you'd have to do that separately, yeah. or as a second document to go along with this application. Uh, but as it was, they were protecting. What was what they'd found to be a workable design for a glider that they morphed into their motorized flying machine? Yeah. So yeah, Jeb's right. This was uh, filed in March, and as we all know, it wasn't until December right. that so. uh, they got it in the air, and they they took it from Dayton down to uh, uh, Kitty Hawk, I believe, in. Uh, just before Thanksgiving that yeah. year. Okay. Well, phew, that's good. That means that uh, that means the Wright brothers' royalties on powered flight are safe. And uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Good. 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 Hey, speaking of wings folding up, um, so there's a, a Cessna service bulletin or a, a, you know, about the Skycatcher. Did you see this? This is. Yeah, uh, we did. This is, a, is. I think this is a big deal. Is this a big deal? I would say so. Yeah, so we've got serial numbers. Uh, the first 228 Skycatchers that were delivered uh, now require for their, uh, um, I guess, the wing root mounting area to be rebuilt in a way. Is that a fair way of describing it? Um, I guess you want to beef up the wing root um, because they're afraid there, there were cracks that they found, right? Yeah, and they found the cracks in their, uh, what they call their, uh, at the factory, they'd call it an iron bird. That's a cyclic test aircraft. Mm -hmm. 
they actually flex the wings mechanically, uh, flex the landing gear, uh, use actuators to bend the wings up and down to simulate turbulence, takeoffs and landings and all that. And they can do that so that they're able to log the effect or impart the effect of many hundreds of hours of flying in a few days. And uh, the, the, the whole idea is for flaws or shortcomings like this to show up on the Iron Bird and not out in the real fleet by, you know, by inspiration of an accident investigation. Well, we traced it to a cracked uh, a wing rib and an attached point of the inboard wing, yada, yada, yada. Better to find it on the Iron Bird, get the fix out into the fleet, and... Uh, and then look for the next thing that yeah, might show yeah. up on the Iron Bird. Now, we're looking at a story here um, on AvWeb about this. Um, it says uh, the work has to be completed uh, at the next 100-hour or annual inspection, um, and, uh, and AvWeb says it describes it as a fairly involved modification. The skin of the leading edge has to be removed and replaced, and new parts are installed in the wing structure. Um, Cessna says it will take about 32 man hours to make the mod. And here's the part I didn't catch the first time I read this. Um, and Cessna is covering that cost. Now that's not clear to me whether they're covering the entire cost or just the, the labor. That sentence is worded kind of funny, but, uh, typically, I mean, would Cessna pay for this entire modification? Uh, usually on an airplane that's this new and, uh, where it, what's turning up is is what some people would I'm sure would characterize as a as a design shortcoming if not an out and out flaw, uh, and say yeah the smart thing to do is a incorporate the fix on the assembly line so that no more airplanes get delivered that are going to need this, and then bring everybody else up to speed. Uh, you make a lot of good political will. Uh, you preserve the value of the used airplanes because, uh, uh, you know, somebody doesn't do the mod, even though, quote, unquote, it's a mandatory service mod as far as Cessna is concerned. That's to maintain its legal status as a light sport aircraft. Mm -hmm. And it, they're changing this over to be a primary aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, that will, future incidents like this will come up as their worthiness directives once they do that. So, um, well, that was my question. Why is this not an airworthiness directive? Obviously, because Cessna's handling it, but. Well, that and they don't have to get the FAAs uh, involved to issue an airworthiness directive if they can get everybody to bring in the airplane and they cover the cost of, of the work. Uh, then it's just done. And I'm not sure that. ADs are issued the same against light sport aircraft as they are that's straight up part twenty three. That's the question I was trying to ask. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I don't I don't think so. At least I haven't seen one yet, but I have seen other factory required mandatory service orders for light sport aircraft usually involve something pretty minor. Yeah. How many 
I'm sorry, David. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you that, off. That's it. No, how, that's many, it. Uh, how many skycatchers have been delivered, do we think? Do we have a ballpark I on this? I think 228. Okay. I was wondering about that. All right. <laughs> okay. So it's all of them. I mean, we have a winner. Yeah. All right. Well, that makes sense. I was going to delve into the conspiracy theory of, you know, they've delivered 500 by now, and way back at 229, they made a change that they didn't tell us about, and, but that's apparently not the case. Okay. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would expect that would not be the case. Yeah, no. Okay, they're all. It's just this is. It's the first 228 because that's all there are, and or that's that's all that have gone out the door at this point, and uh, um, and they're fixing all the others, you know, before they even send them out. That makes sense. That's well, what, and there's there's some issues with who can work on these airplanes. If you're a licensed ANP, uh, you can work on these airplanes, but I believe that there's some training requirements that you're supposed to go through uh fixed wing lsa specific and i know if you're a person that's gone out and gone through the training to get your own repairman certificate and the inspection authorization so you can do your own annuals you had to go to a special school on that and get your paperwork yeah Okay. And this, I don't think there's enough of them out there for most ANPs to be familiar with them at, yet anyway. Yeah, so no, right. it's just probably the safest and, and least hassle all around for Cessna to take control of this and, and, and keep a lot of goodwill with their, with their customers. Yeah. So, anyways, hey, we got to wrap this thing up because I have no idea how long this episode was. We have this variable that well, we're not up to a uh, we're not up to an hour of us yet. Of yeah. if, if Amy hadn't talked forever, I know, huh? Uh, well, there's that. There's know. that. Yeah. So, anyways, um, the yeah, let's see now. Um, uh, one one of the remaining items, not counting the shoutouts that I wanted to, David. So, David, you went on a little rant here. I can't quite figure out where you're going with this. Okay, November five for a November fifteen change. What's going on here? Why are you so worked up about this? Well, we've known for over a year that there was going to be a change to the international flight plan form that operators have to use if we're flying cross-border to be compliant with ICAO and thereby accepted by the country that you're flying between. Mm -hmm. And we've known for a long time this was coming, and the transition to the change actually started back in September. When the FAA said, okay, for the next, uh, uh, well, till November 15, you can file the new form, or if you've still got some left over and haven't transitioned yet, you can file the old form. Right. Well, I haven't seen, if you'll pardon the expression, Dick nor all about this, uh, except for the little announcement back in September that the window was now open to use either form. And in this info for operators, saying, don't forget, as of tomorrow, this is the only way you can do it. I think trying to impress several thousand operators who fly cross-border, many of them on a daily basis, uh, they probably know, but the more infrequent uh, transborder flyers, cross-border operators, uh, this may not have been on the front of their radar screen and... Yeah, but it just seemed like ten days is an awfully short lead time to be putting out an info a bulletin on something that will basically keep you from going out of country if you do it wrong. Yeah, that's all right. They'll know pretty soon, and uh, you know, they'll figure it out. Yeah, they don't get their clearance. De- definitely, they'll be educated. Anyways, I know. So, so what you're saying here, David, is that the bureaucracy is kind of messed up. Who would have thought? 
Well, they were a little slow on this. I mean, uh, Lord knows when we were facing the changeover in uh, uh, the perpetual registration to the three-year registration cycle, where we had that year there where everybody had to re-register based on, you know, uh, uh, some kind of allocation and in a certain month. And if you registered it in this month, you have to re-register it in this month. And by the end of that first year, everybody's supposed to be on. Man, we heard about that interminably. Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, this isn't as big a deal as that in the long term, in the big scheme. But like I said, there are several thousand air- cross-border operations daily for private and business aircraft. At least that's the info that I've been given no number of times doing stories about this type of operation. So to think that all those people are going to be front row sitters on everything that you got to do, and oh, we'll just remind them ten days out, mm-hmm. seems a little slim on the uptake. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there's two more stories on the list here. Um, one's about lingerie, and the other's about kites. Oh, let's do the one on lingerie. Oh, please, please, ha ha ha. <laughs> Jeb, what's the story about lingerie? I don't know. I'm okay. Apparently, it has to do with skydiving. I, I'm you know, unless you guys have an urge, I'm going to let it go. Well, I put it on the list because I thought it was a novel approach to uh, general aviation, a general aviation activity. Mm-hmm. Skydiving in lingerie. Well, David, you used to be a skydiver. Is there something you want to tell us here? Well, there was that one time when I jumped commando yeah okay that's all shout outs what do we got here <laughs> okay oh, stop time out i need to go get some brain brain bleach yeah, i'll be I know, right really. back i know it's gonna take a while shout Check, out please yeah <laughs> shout out i don't know does this belong to you well, david the, 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 these ladies at esme and eve oh, by the way the, the okay. lingerie skydivers they're doing this uh for a cause they're going to be doing uh, a mass jump no bad jokes, a mass jump uh, here in a couple of days. And I thought uh, on November 17th, actually, I thought that uh, their cause was worth promoting in their approach, uh, definitely unique. The bad joke shark has been jumped. Yeah, I know. The, too late the, for that. I know. The uh, doggy style uh, yeah, drones. So, know. I, you know. All right. Shout outs. Anybody got anything? Yeah. Go ahead. Gord Head. Who are you calling that a Gord? Oh. Go ahead. Uh, well, we all know about uh, Hurricane slash Superstorm Sandy that kind of waited ashore just as NBAA was kicking off uh, Halloween week. And what I haven't seen as much about as I've seen during past disasters is uh, the uh, rather heavy involvement of private aircraft operators, business jets and uh, turboprop and piston people. Uh, participating in relief operations uh, for the victims of Hurricane slash Superstorm Sandy. Uh, I thought a shout-out to them and all the folks that support their efforts. Uh, and NBAA, if you're interested in volunteering yourself and your plane for this or future stuff, uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, but NBAA has a, a site, nbaa.org slash ops slash hero for folks that want to volunteer their aircraft, their time, and their efforts to uh, disaster relief in the future. Yeah. 
or even now maybe i mean it's a really sad situation out there it's it's been I was gonna say there's still a need yeah there's it's still. been a couple of weeks since since sandy and there's still all kinds of people who are struggling um out there so uh, yeah well these storms with this much of a footprint with this broad a swath of uh, of uh devastation you know we don't get over those things quickly no I mean, modern civilization is too infrastructure heavy and it's not exactly the most robust infrastructure in the world when you got all these telephone lines all these power lines up above the surface where weather plays hell with them on a daily basis and then you get you know a 30 foot tidal surge you get 150 mile an hour winds uh, you put those together, and what do you got? You got millions of people without access to electricity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the lines are down, and then you got all these houses that they can't turn the power back on until the houses are inspected and the wiring is dried out, and they make sure that you know they won't blow breakers and trip the grid again. Uh, we don't get over these things quickly, so there's still a need. Yes, yes. And although GA can't really help all that much with the power situation, um, GA has a long history of helping out with emergency supplies and uh, delivering them to the places they're needed. And so, uh, yeah. That we do really well. Go to that MBAA uh, site, and uh, if you're able, volunteer to help out. Uh, uh, Jeb, did you have a shout-out? Well, not exactly a shout-out. Um. JP Instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been dealing with them off and on uh, for a few weeks now. Uh, initially, I sent my uh, my JPI engine monitor uh, back to them for uh, some repairs, some overhauls, some updates, and, and this kind of thing. I don't, I don't remember the price tag, uh, but by the time the smoke cleared, I'm sure it was $750, $800, something like that, uh, whatnot. So I get it back, and... Uh, go to install it and notice that a connector uh, on the harness in the airplane has uh, some some wires that are broken on it. And um, okay. being, you know, so looking at the connector and looking at the wires, um, almost uh, unsolderable. There's, the wires are soldered onto the circuit board. It's, a, it's an edge-on connector, if you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Yeah. And on the edge-on connector is is then attached a DB25 female connector that plugs into the back of the GP, JPI. It's an it's an adapter essentially from the old InSight harness to the the JPI instrument. Okay. So um, yeah, I don't want to try to to engineer this connector. Let me get another one. So I call up JPI. So I need another connector here, and they say. Oh, yeah, that's going to be $70. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, all right, fine. You know, here's my credit card. Send the thing to me. This was like on a Thursday. So um, the email they had for me is, is a Gmail account that I don't use all that much. So I happened to check email on that account the next week, and there's this urgent message from this guy I'd been dealing with at JPI to call me. So I called the guy. I said, what's the deal? He says, well, we can't send you this connector. I said, well, why not? Well, we've got to have the whole instrument back. No, you don't. We've got to have the whole instrument back because it's more than a connector. It's, you know, this, this harness and everything. I said, look, A, you just had the instrument for, you know, a couple of weeks. B, all I need is this connector. It's a $3 piece of plastic. Well, all this kind of stuff. You've got to send the instrument back. No, I'm not going to send the instrument back to you. Send me the part. We'll call it even. I'll even pay the $70 for the $3 part. 
He says, no, we can't do that. We got to, we got to do this whole harness. We got to do this testing. I said, all right. So I said, you know, let me, let me email you some things here. So I sent him a picture of the part I need. I said, you know, you're telling me, you know, you can't give me or sell me, dispense to me, however you want to call it, this, this small piece of plastic. And furthermore, you're telling me I got to send this whole instrument back because you want to build and test a new harness, but it's just the adapter harness that you want, the adapter from the old Insight harness back to the JPI instrument. But what you're telling me is that if I install that new harness, I have to cut wires and splice them together because on the other connector, I have the oil temp sensor for the engine. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And you know, show me where in the STC paperwork and, and where in your drawings it says I have to do this. And I will be happy to do it. And that was the last communication I had with JPI, and that was like two, three weeks ago. So I don't know what's going on over there. Um, I wouldn't call this, you know, price gouging or anything like that because, yeah, okay, it's aviation. Uh, yeah, it's a $70 part, and they're charging $70 for a $3 part. But, you know, they're saying supposedly they're giving me a break on the harness and all this kind of stuff. But the punchline is I still haven't heard back from them on what I'm supposed to do with this oil temp sensor. Still haven't heard back from them on where in their paperwork and where in their FAA-approved materials it says that I'm supposed to do all this. And so I'm just going around them. I'm just going to build up a new harness for the whole thing or new, new connectors on the existing harness and uh, get my IA to sign off on it, and it's fairly well. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to give a little shout-out to JP. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's like, huh? You know, I, I understand a dwindling market, and I understand, you know, all of that kind of thing, and I understand the need to, to uh, you know, stay in business and, and, and support the, the installed base and be able to develop new products and, and all this kind of thing. But are you kidding me? A. B, why can't I get a simple response to my email? Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, email them a link to this. Yeah, I may. Well, I was going to call him back and say, "Now, where would you like for this story to appear?" Yeah, because I got many choices. <laughs> oh, never mind. All right. Uh, I think that's it. Put a fork in this one. Yeah, please. One of those voices out there is Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Any stories we can read? Uh, let's see. Yep. <laughs> David, I've been asking this question at the end of every episode for like two months now. And you always act like you're surprised. Uh, yep. Well, we're going to have a piece, uh, in about a week and a half on, uh, the passenger experience in a next and X, uh, 400 XT. Okay. That's a converted Beach Jet 400. It's actually a remanufactured Beach Jet 400 with Williams engines, a new interior, new panel, uh, new motor mount, new nacelles, new uh, engine beam, the whole thing. Uh, really remarkably uh, uh, quick and strong climate airplane. I mean, we did 33,000 feet in uh, about nine minutes. Cool. What, what publication that's going to be in? That's going to be in World Aircraft Sales December issue. 
Excellent. Excellent. And where can people find you on the internet? Oh, avbuyer.com will get to the World Aircraft Sales Magazine site, uh, aea.net, uh, oh, sundry other places. Uh, I noticed my picture in a post office yesterday. So, And that other voice out there is Jeb Burnside. Uh, Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what are you working on? Well, I cannot tell a lie. I put that picture in the post office. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, somebody had to. That's right. Um, well, I'm just, again, basking in the glow yeah. of uh, putting another issue of Aviation Safety Magazine to bed. Uh, having this issue, uh, an article by uh, some guy named Dave Higdon on, uh, on uh, loss of control accidents. Um uh, have another article in there by someone... Uh, I don't think she phoned it in from China either. Um, someone named Amy Laboda on uh, how to use engine monitors. There's another recurring theme. Um, and uh, I've even got a piece in there on uh, what did I write about again? Aviation safety. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pilot related accidents and, and how we are our own worst enemies. Um, things like that. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good issue. Um, be in your mailboxes in a few weeks. And um, thank you both for listening. Yep. And uh, we can find you and the magazine on the net where? Oh, let's see. AviationSafetyMagazine.com, uh, JEBurnside.com, uh, AEA.net. Cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, please check out my Kindle ebooks uh, at uh, Amazon.com. Uh, you can uh, check out all my different Amazon titles at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, also check out uh, Echo on the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace uh, site, uh, continuing to add all sorts of uh, bits uh, from the uh, the checkered past of Uncontrolled Airspace. And uh, they're, uh, the ones that, are, that have been harvested so far are all available there to to listen to that's at uncontrolledairspace.com slash echo and for me uh, check out my websites at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net big thanks to uh, jeff ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums Uh, please take a few minutes to check out echo uh, the general aviation online media channel at uncontrolledairspace.com slash echo and don't forget to check out the rest of the ucap website you can chat with us directly uh, and with many of your fellow listeners in the uncontrolled airspace forums you can see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much much more all of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com david were you going to say something Best way to live long, get old, and have fun is to go fly. Because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your life span. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go fly and... For sure. <laughs> Easy for him to say. <laughs>